love football since I was about three or four. I was playing it in the back garden. I joined a boys team when I was five because there was no other girls teams around. Mm. I played in the school team full of boys, only girl in all of these teams. But in terms of role models, female role models, I didn't have any. Hello, this is Football Stories, season two of this podcast. Season one looked at the stories off the pitch, season two looking at the stories on it as I talk to people who actually kicked a ball in anger professionally. Today that person is Caroline Weir as we focus on the Women's Super League. Now Caroline is one of the stars of Manchester City's women's team who, when I spoke to her, had just missed out on a really competitive title race to Chelsea. She's also throughout her career played for Arsenal, Liverpool, Bristol City and made 70-odd appearances, depending on when you actually listen to this podcast, at international level for Scotland. And there aren't many people who can claim having 70 international caps. On this podcast, we talk about the season that's just been, as well as the really impressive setup and improvements around the women's game at the Etihad Stadium. We also talk about some of the challenges that face girls who want to get into the game today, be it at a club level or at a hobby level, or even professionally, which, despite the huge steps that have been made over the last decade or so, do still exist. It's an absolutely fascinating chat with a professional footballer who's currently at the very top of her game. So, hope you enjoy today's football story. It comes from Caroline Weir. How you doing, Caroline? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, congratulations on the season so far, but commiserations on just missing out on the Women's Super League title. You missed out to Chelsea in the league. Not been too far off the pace for Manchester City this season, but are the plans already in place to kind of step it up next season to bridge that gap? Yeah, I think so. I think overall, like it's been quite a positive season. I think we had quite a few changes with our new manager coming in and a lot of new signings. So yeah, to kind of take Chelsea all the way to the end was a positive thing. But yeah, we're disappointed to lose out by two points. It was obviously really close in the end. Chelsea have had a great season. They've got a strong squad. So yeah, it's kind of about for us building on this season and going again in pre-season and just kind of building on the foundation we built this year. At this stage in the year when the season is just behind you and you've got a bit of a break before you get stuck into the pre-season, is your mental state, is it just kind of trying to forget about it for a bit? Are you already mulling over in your head what you can do, what needs to change, what needs to be better? I think for me personally, I like to switch off straight after a season. I think this season for everything that went on, it feels like the longest season there's ever been. <laughs> so I'm quite happy for the next few weeks. I think we'll I'll probably take two weeks off from now and just, yes, switch off as much as possible because I know when it starts again, it gets intense very quickly and we will be talking about next season and all our ambitions for that. So um, I think it's important to switch off straight after the season and just, you know, it's, it's kind of all happened now and then refresh and reset to go again in pre-season. It has been an incredibly strange season for everyone, I think, and hopefully a season that won't be repeated as well. Just like the Premier League, the Women's Super League has obviously happened without fans this year. Now, I know the numbers of fans are more modest in your league than you'd maybe get at the Etihad on a Premier League match day, but has the lack of support affected you as a player, do you think, this season? Yeah, I think, you know, this season has been strange. I think we're we're so fortunate to be able to play the season and um, in a safe environment. So we're thankful for that. But I think, of course, we've missed the fans. You know, the atmospheres, we obviously play at kind of smaller stadiums where the atmosphere with fans is obviously good. Yeah, I think there's been moments in the season, you know, that fans just 
push you over the line and I think we've really missed that you just kind of forget it's it's fans it's, it's family it's friends that that haven't been able to come and share good moments with you bad moments with mm. you and you really are just stuck in that kind of team bubble which you know is good most of the time but yeah I would say there's been moments where we've, we've obviously missed the fans it's weird how you kind of adapt to it and you get used to it and it will be a bit weird having fans back but no, we're excited. It's not the same without them, and we've, we've definitely missed them. Are there any good elements to not having fans there? I mean, I assume you don't get the support and you don't get the lifting that the home support gives you, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know if it's as bad in the WSL as we sometimes see in the Premier League, but you must not get the abuse either and the, and the pressure to a certain extent. Yeah, there's definitely maybe a little bit less pressure. That kind of comes from within the team and the manager which is fine. But yeah, yeah, we're lucky. We probably don't suffer the same abuse as the guys. The WSL is pretty family orientated. You get the odd thing, but on the whole, it's, it's pretty friendly. So yeah, we, we've missed them. I wouldn't say there's many positives to fans not being there at all. So yeah, no, like I say, we'll be very happy to have them back. On the topic of pressure, does the success of the men's team at Manchester City does that put additional pressure on the women's team to kind of bring home the silver when you when you're seeing them reaching finals and winning trophies? Does that kind of add to the pressure on you as a group? Yeah, I think just being at Man City itself, it's a huge club. The expectation every season is to to win trophies, is to be up there in the league, to be in finals. So that's not really new to us. Obviously, we're kind of mirrored by one of the best men's team in, in Europe right now mm. um, who have had such a great season. So seeing them have that success, yeah, it, it makes us want it that little bit more. But yeah, it's it's kind of the one club, so we're not necessarily comparing you know, the men's and women's teams, we're kind of all in it together. And yeah, it, it kind of spurs us on to, to be up there with, you know, in the finals and, and top of the league and things like that. So um, no, they've had a great season and just being at a club like Man City, there's always that expectation. So that's not, not really a new thing for us. Looking at the career you've had as a player, Caroline, one of the highlights for you must have been scoring the winning goal in the inaugural Manchester derby, which is one of those goals that's going to be in the history books forever now, not least because it was an absolute cracker of a goal. But there's often a criticism of modern footballers that they don't understand the importance of these games that have significance to fans, like the Manchester derby, for example. Is that drilled into you? as players how significant this is for the fan base even if it's not as significant maybe as it once was for the players on the pitch yeah I think um quite early on I've been at Liverpool before obviously City Mm. now and when you're living in that city you you kind of realize what it's like men or women's football you know you've got everyone you talk to they're either United City Liverpool Everton whatever it is so quite quickly you learn that it's such a big thing so yeah um the derbies there's always like a kind of different feel leading up to the derbies. There's a bit more media around it. We know the team so well. We have friends in the team and all that kind of thing. So, no, you know that it's important. You know what it means to the fans. And I think the worst thing is, is maybe losing that that game and, and everything that comes with that, the kind of bragging rights that you don't have or, or whatever. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say early on, you know what it's all about. And new players coming in, they quite quickly realise what they're in for when they're playing a derby. So, yeah, I think it helps when you live in that city and you're kind of like consumed by it. Especially in the Northwest, you know, there's so many clubs up here and it's such a big thing. So, yeah, you learn quite quite quickly what it's about. That game was 2019-2020, which is very recent for an inaugural derby match. The reason for that was because Manchester United resisted having a women's team of any kind for quite a long period of time. As a female footballer in the game, was that disappointing to see one of the biggest teams in the world, certainly in status, just pretty much shunning 
that side of the sport. Yeah, I think so. I think it's great. They've got a women's team now. It's great for the league, for women's football. I think it's important in women's football that the big teams have women's teams because, you know, they've got the biggest fan bases, the biggest brands, etc. So we need those teams on board. But at the same time, we need it to be sustainable and to be genuine. I think, you know, when you have token women's teams at big clubs, we've seen that in the past, not so much now, where it's, you know, they might not necessarily fully invest in it or mm. or whatever. That's where it's, it's, there's no use in that, I think. So I think for big teams to fully invest, get behind a women's team, have it at the forefront of what their club's about um, in the plan for that club um, it's really important so yeah it's great that United have a team now and the WSL is filled with with big names now I want to take you back if it's okay to the very beginning of your footballing career and I'm interested to know what it's like growing up as a girl who wants to play football at a high level was it easy to find clubs was it easy to find people to play against was it easy to find those opportunities no not really for me um, growing up in a small town, town in Scotland I've I love football since I was about three or four. I was playing it in the back garden with my siblings and I joined the boys team when I was five because there was no other girls teams around. Mm. The, the opportunity for girls to play football was so limited. It's changed now, but you know, t- 20 years ago, it wasn't like that. So I, yeah, straight into the boys team. I played in the school team full of boys, only girl in all of these teams. But I was quite lucky when I was 10. I moved to Hibs in Scotland, which had a really... At the time, it was the best kind of youth girls set up. They had an under-13s, 15s, 17s team. So yeah, I went there at 10. Obviously, I was pretty young and made my way through the Hibs kind of academy. It wasn't really an, an academy at that point, but there was a, a pathway there for girls that, that wanted to kind of keep playing football. But yeah, it, it was tricky. There was I was lucky because Hibs was great and I was there until I was 18. But in terms of role models, female role models, I didn't have any. I would mm. like to say I did, but I, I was obsessed with football. I watched so much football on TV men's obviously all men's football and I'm not quite sure where it came from that I decided that I was going to be a professional footballer because you know I didn't see women doing it I just probably thought I was going to play men's football or you know whatever that that looked like I didn't really know so I was fortunate because when I turned 18 I went down south to Arsenal and that was when the game kind of begun to turn professional so yeah that was kind of my upbringing and there was definitely a lack of role models and lack of opportunities for girls football but I was fortunate in that I could go to Hibs. At what point in that journey did it suddenly become apparent that this was something you could do where someone started telling you or people started telling you or encouraging you that this was actually a career path that could be followed because I imagine I'm sure there is encouragement but I imagine there's a fair amount of what's the word disencouragement is that even a word for people kind of trying to put you off from that journey as well? Yeah, no, you're right. They're definitely not active discouragement, but there was, you know, I go into school every like new school year after the summer, my teacher would be like, what do you want to be? And I'd be like, professional footballer. And a lot of it was not, you know, wasn't the most positive of reactions. You know, they were like, well, you need to get a proper job. And, you know, women can't necessarily do that. Is that even a thing for women? So there was definitely a little bit of that, but there was the odd person, you know, the odd coach that clearly saw something in me and kind of, had a feeling that I could go quite far but I think through my teenage years the plan I was quite adamant that I wanted to continue my education and go to university Mm. because as much as I wanted to take football as far as possible I kind of thought that was never going to 
you know, earn me a decent wage um, and I would need some kind of proper job. So my parents were quite keen on that. So I would took school very seriously. I was going to go to uni. And I think initially the plan was to go to the US and get a scholarship and continue my education. But like I say, when I was 18, I, I signed for Arsenal and it all kind of changed direction. And that's when football was the most important thing. And I could see that there was going to be opportunities to, to become professional. We're talking about maybe a, a decade passing now since those kind of early days at Hibs and Arsenal. Do you think much changed in the sport in that respect in terms of access to the game and being able to have those role models for young players to look up to? Yeah, I think we've seen a massive shift in momentum in, in women's football over, the, I'd say, the, the last decade, even five years. I think it's come such a long way. You know, I never thought I'd be sat at City in the environment that I'm in, doing what I love every single day, being pushed to reach my potential. And, and I think that that's come from all sorts of things, you know, more media attention being more visible, women's games being on, on TV, the, the national teams doing well, obviously in this country, England doing well at World Cups and Olympics and uh, Euros, uh, all that kind of thing. So I just think that really helps because it encourages more girls to play and, and shows us there are opportunities out there. But it's it's a continuous cycle. It needs to keep going. And, and, and things like the BBC and the Sky TV deal this season for the WSL is huge because it, it brings a whole new level to, of coverage that we've never seen before. And hopefully, again, we'll kind of elevate the game to a new level. Obviously, it's not just an access and awareness issue that faces women's football at the moment. There's also, at times, maybe a bit of a lack of respect, certainly from the men's side of the game or fans of the men's side of the game. We've seen recently Alex Scott's appointment as a female pundit on Football Focus being labelled as box ticking. We've seen Karen Carney as a pundit getting abuse for daring to have an opinion that probably a male pundit would get away with. Does it feel like there's a real uphill struggle to be had in terms of that side of the game, in terms of being able to kind of change opinions from a certain portion of the footballing fan base? Or is that just, is that something that just feels unachievable and it's just a case of like not bothering with that side of things? I think there's obviously there's a small minority that you're never going to change the minds of that you know it's it's a male space and and women aren't welcome which is fine we're not going to change that but I think on the whole that there's uh, many people's perceptions we can change about women's football I think as well what gets forgotten is women's football was banned you know for 50 years not so long ago so we are playing catch-up on and off the pitch so I think for women coming into Alex Scott who's leading the way and doing such a good job on the the punditry side and paving the way as is Karen Carney and people like that and mm. um, it takes time to to for people to get used to seeing women talk about football have opinions about football and know what what they're actually talking about and as well you know women weren't playing football for as long so the the, the game itself has come a long way on the pitch physically technically because we've become professional but like I say we've been playing catch-up and it does take time so I think it's on a good path but it's going to take a little bit longer for it to be normalized and for for it to be accepted by everyone or most people anyway but I think I think it's doable I, I do just think it's going to take quite a bit of time. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where both sides of the game are seen on an equal footing in the ways they are I mean you look at clubs like Lose FC on the south coast who have equal pay for the men's and women's teams there's a few international teams like England or Brazil that have adopted that as well as something going forward do you think we'll ever see that in the Premier League? 
I think it's an interesting argument. I think, like I said, the women's game has a long way to go. I think the men's game is like no other, not even, you know, in the world of sport, it just moves at such a fast pace in terms of financially. Mm. So I think when we start comparing the men's and women's game, it's not a great argument, I think, for now. They've got to stand separately just because of the fact that women haven't been playing football for so long and it's yeah it's it's a different game and I think the women's game instead of being compared to the men's game should just be celebrated for what's you know unique about that and what it can bring to the world of sports to society and, and things like that so yeah I, I, I'm not sure we're going to see the same levels financially as the Premier League probably not my career hopefully my lifetime at some point but like I say the Premier League men's football is is kind of in a league of its own in that sense so I think it's just about keeping the women's game sustainable and accessible and and um, like I say I think it's on a good path. Before I let you go Caroline talk to me about Girls United I know you're an ambassador for the project there attempting to tackle some of the accessibility issues that we've talked about already tell me a little bit about the project that's ongoing. Yeah so I work with a charity called Girls United who are based in London and in Mexico and it's it's all about kind of what I've been speaking about it's all about showing girls whatever it is they want to achieve they can go and do it it's about developing girls skills and confidence and showing them that there's opportunities out there whether that's in football and it might not be in football it's just about giving them confidence kind of as well as transferable skills that they can bring into whatever their passion is but football is obviously such a good way to bring people together it's getting girls excited about football whether they want to play whether they want to coach that's quite an important thing is yeah we want more girls playing football and and reaching elite levels and, and playing for fun but we also want girls involved in football. There's so many different jobs that women can do in football behind the scenes that I, I don't think we see enough of personally, especially in the professional game, I think. So, uh, yeah, that's something what it's all about. And, yeah, I really enjoyed working with them so far. Caroline, pleasure talking to you. Enjoy your well-earned summer's break and good luck for next season at Manchester City. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Football Stories from the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed Season 2 and you've listened to all the episodes in Season 2, why not go back to Season 1 and listen to some of the untold stories from off the pitch. And if you happen to be a sport content creator, if you've got your own podcast, why not come and join the Sports Social Podcast Network? Find more information or find your next favourite sport podcast by searching Sports Social Podcast Network. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.